I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop Anonymous on Twitter. I use Hip Hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm direct to the fifth element. Highlight fifth element hip hop, which is knowledge. I don't want it ill. I just want to chill. And by chill, I mean freeze my fucking ass off in this fucking house. Sting the digits. over there yeah it's um it's a it's a grind it's a it's a daily waking up and just going great i'm cold hi ben how's your week been what's been this week my week has been significantly better than yours apparently because i've not been cold and i've had a very good weekend uh living in australia congratulations i'm so happy for you it's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. That's sweet of you to say. <laughs> so this week, um, I didn't listen to heaps of music. I listened to Conway and Conductor's Project, and it was good. I enjoyed it a lot on first listen, but I didn't go back to it. I'm not really 100% sure why, because um, I really do go back to Conway Projects now. Like, I swear it was two years ago. I was just like, eh, not really the biggest Conway fan, but now I like everything he's putting out so yeah i think i'll go back to that i enjoyed it a lot when i listened to it on first listen uh sexy red dropped the deluxe and full of slaps it's fucking great fully recommend people go check that out dave east dropped a new project um with uh crooch calhoun i'm not 100 percent sure how i actually pronounce his name i apologize if i've got that wrong it's all right it's, it's pretty good um it's interesting having dave east with another like artist on the project as well because it's like uh, i don't know i don't think we got feature davies but i definitely do think that um breaking up his voice with another voice is actually not the worst thing in the world so yeah it was it was good but it wasn't as uh incendiary as i was maybe hoping i didn't actually check out the az album i really should have done that um what else did i listen to I think that was pretty much it. Oh, Zarface. I did listen to Zarface. It was good. It was good. Again, it was not overly outstanding. It wasn't anything incredible, but I enjoyed it immensely. It was a good listen. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much it this week. Not not the massive, most massive week of all time, but yeah, it was all right. What about yourself, Charlie? Yeah, I've got a few projects. Um, start off with Big X to plug. Uh, with uh, what's it called? The biggest, outstanding. Um, uh, but yeah, this is a little EP, little care package, and um, yeah, I really enjoy it, man. Um, I there's something, there's something about his voice that just uh, really gets me hype. Um, and yeah, he's just uh, just a big dude with a big voice flexing all the time, and uh, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It's actually a really good. Uh, uh I forget what the I forget the initial. Well, obviously the initial sample is, but it's the same sample as will smith's miami and he uses that for a track and it's just really good and um that bad beat flip's really good um offsets on here on a feature which is pretty decent that's a nice little uh nice little uh name to pop on your project ep even um but yeah man really good project um six seven tracks uh seven track ep nothing to um nine two out there on that front uh Zeno vinci yeah, Zeno Vinci, uh, filthy and disgusting. 
Um, I f- apparently, I follow him um, uh, via like my listening platforms, and uh, I was trying to figure out when I did that. Um, but hey, uh, shout out to Mickey, put me on again. I guess <laughs> I see he put me on for the first time previously, and I just uh, you know gave it a f- uh, gave the follow, and then um, didn't actually listen to anything. I'm not sure, but anyway, I've listened now, and I'm here, and uh, yeah, it's pretty solid. Um, Interesting production choice, um, choices overall. Uh, the vibe's very interesting, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's very uh, very down-to-earth in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed the... <laughs> the uh, Western Union tracks are uh, really good. I like that's a good start. Uh, first time, solid as well. And uh, I, f- I just find it funny, the last track is just called Jeff. I don't know why, it just makes me makes me laugh. Uh, Amaria... Um, just with a Mario, not a Mario BB, just a Mario, um, all for you, which I did get slightly confused by, considering there's so many Marios about, but here we are, uh, we have just a Mario, and uh, yeah, this is really nice, it's actually dropped in April, um, so I've just gotten round to it, and um, I really like this project, I really like this project, it's really deep, bassy, Voice is nice. She has some some production credits on a few of these tracks, so that's cool to know. A little female producer alert. That's uh, from there. Destin Conrad, Amber Navran, and Fabo on here as well in terms of features. Um, but yeah, just the overall uh, as an overall listen is very very enjoyable. Um, there's just a consistent um, a very consistent style going throughout, and uh, yeah, it's just highly enjoyable. Really enjoyed that particular EP. Um, Destiny Briona, uh, Girls from Atlanta. Um, this dropped in August and um, I dare you to find a more queer coded <laughs> um, EP. Uh, it's just uh, it's, it's he- heavily queer coded and has this um, uh, trap soul elements, you know what I mean, to it. It's got that kind of thing going on. Uh, but yeah, her subject matter is very fascinating, very interesting, very different. I rarely listen to that kind of stuff in subject matter, um, or it rarely comes to me, uh, so to speak. But yeah, really enjoyed it, really solid. Uh, what we got next? Uh, I think we have, oh yeah, AZ, uh, truth be told. Uh, really solid, um, really triumphant uh, production throughout. Mumu Fresh on Amazing, outstanding. Ferro Munch on Go Time, outstanding. Fat Joe's here. And the rest is fine. <laughs> the rest is pretty solid. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a solid little project. Um, it's not not too long. Doesn't uh, you know overstay its welcome or anything. Uh, how long is it? Yeah, literally only twenty nine minutes. So you know, uh, come and goes very quickly. I'm not sure what the what ha- what's happening with the cover artwork. Um, I don't know why. It's just like people staring into this into the into the distance and then his face is just there like a I don't know like a god or something it's really weird uh, but anyway last one Elzai and Ono's heavy vibrato vibrato um, Elzai's voice sounds really deep on here and just really different I guess compared to everything he's done previously um, don't know how that came about but um, yeah he just has this uh, kind of different tone to him um, maybe that's just me, I don't know, but anyway, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent about Ono production whenever I spin him, uh, whenever I see his name on projects, I'm kind of just a little apprehensive sometimes, because he has this esoteric nature when making beats, they're never simple, you know, and they kind of, uh, it's never the same beat, you know what I mean, there's like time signatures go all over the place and you know it's interesting to have someone like Elzai who's obviously so you know lyrically just um you know 
on top, right? On top of that, um, it is interesting having him go over so such esoteric beats. Um, but as listens, as like pleasure, you know, for just personal pleasure, um, I don't really get that. Um, so most of the time, when I listen to Ono beats. That's just a me problem, I guess. But um, yeah, it's it's. Um, I like the last track where Elzai just kind of just. Um, lists irritations that he has in life it's kind of a uh, it's kind of honest and uh, very fascinating to listen to um but yeah anyway solid project can't complain apart from me not particularly enjoying no no production um but yeah let's hop into our topic for this episode which is all about large professor uh one of the i think more underrated um producers i guess in hip hop history um i feel like not many people mention him when it comes to that kind of uh, conversation and i think um also underrated in the fact that you know i feel like he had has over the years especially in the 90s has had major hands in a lot of you know legendary projects um obviously your mac being the main one but i feel like you know there's plenty of others that he had a hand in and yeah so um, a very interesting track record that um doesn't exactly um i guess translate to the solo projects in, in my opinion not in terms of you know they're bad or anything i think overall they're pretty solid and you know easy to listen to overall um but nothing you know screams at me when I listen to them unlike the stuff where you know he has you know a hand in stuff such as Ilmec and other projects with you know likes of Q-Tip, Tropical Quest, Big Daddy Kane etc and etc etc um so yeah interesting legacy um to try and pack into retrospectively but we're gonna give it a go so that said Ben what have you got for us? Yeah, we've spoken about Large Professor often on this podcast because it's it's kind of impossible to avoid his name when you're discussing music that changed the landscape because he was incredibly influential. He began his career with definitely a coming-of-age moment. Uh, his mentor, Paul C., had signed on to ghost-produce Eric B. and Rakim's third album, Let the Rhythm Hit Him, but he tragically passed away, which kind of thrust Large Professor into that position. And the album is a classic, and it helped him earn credits with Cool G Rap, Lord Finesse, BL, Jazzo. Like, it was a real, you know, it was a pivotal moment for him. But we did cover a lot of his origins in the Main Source episode, so I want to more focus on what happened outside of Main Source and then afterwards. Because I think it's a story that, as you know, as Charlie said, it includes Illmatic, but we forget that it includes Pete Rock and CL Smooth, Tribe, Common, Buster, Cannabis, like... He worked with a lot of artists and Illmatic may not have even existed the way it existed without him. And I'll explain that in a second. Um, But, you know, if you say live at the barbecue to any hip hop fan, it it means something like it really does mean something. The way that Nas floated into the game three years before his classic debut album on that main source cut. And that was all facilitated by Large Professor, who he was he did everything as an artist. You know, he curated, he produced, he rapped, he, he did everything like he was genuinely he was more than a beat maker like much more than a beat maker and this was partly why he left main source because he felt he wasn't being paid enough for his contributions to the group he actually told dj vlad that he knew he'd succeed anywhere with his production so he left the group and went out alone and that's kind of similar to what dr dre said you know dr dre was like i'm dr dre like i can literally go anywhere and i'll make money and i'll be successful you don't have to and 
that's sadly what happened with main source would be nice if they continued but you know he he left and then went on to bigger things he produced the entirely uh, entirety not entirely entirety of Akinelli's uh, vagina diner which has been called a gritty x-rated joker with an uniquely bipolar flow um, but that was the album that put Large Professor on the map in a way that he hadn't been before. Because, you know, yeah, he produced Let the Rhythm Hit Him and, and produced on it. Like, we don't know exactly what he produced because he was a ghost producer. So it's very difficult to then, obviously, people in the industry know who you are because you've ghost produced for someone and, and people know that. But the, the greater listening public don't know that. And if that information isn't being shared with other artists, they don't know to come to you. So when he finally produced that full album, uh, and he was fully credited for it, it really did help explode his career. Because, you know, throughout 92, for example, um, his production credits, 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 pretty uh, scattered. Uh, he did di- tracks for Diamond D, Gangstar, Pete Rock and CL Smooth, a couple of songs for Shantae. Um, in 94, obviously, he had those three credits on Illmatic. Now, Halftime is the song that endeared Illmatic to DJ Premier. So Halftime was the first song recorded. Um, and Large Professor told an interviewer, uh, sorry, DJ Premier told an interviewer, when I heard Halftime, that was some next shit to me. That's just as classic to me as Eric B for President and The Bridge. It just had that type of effect. As simple as it is, all of the elements are there. So from that point, after Search approached me about doing some cuts, it was very automatic. You'd be stupid to pass that up even if it wasn't paying any money. That's what DJ Premier said. He's like, you'd be stupid to pass up Illmatic even if it's you know, you're not going to get paid for it. So Large Pro had a direct hand in bringing DJ Premier on board, and then he reached out to Pete Rock and secured that collaboration. So Large Professor is woven into this success of Illmatic and I again we talk about Illmatic every day online and no one talks about Large Professor they don't talk about the producers very often but Large Professor was like absolutely pivotal and his story as a producer was unfolding throughout the entire early 90s at one point he found himself living up the road from Slick Rick and made the amazing discovery that he actually went to school with the mother of Slick Rick's child so Def Jam came to Large Pro to remix It's a Boy which he did and he actually didn't find out if Slick Rick even liked the track till years later because Slick Rick was in prison, um, which obviously linked up with what we said in our Slick Rick rec- retrospective and the story around those incarcerated albums. But this was all helping Large Professor build a reputation as a fearsome remix DJ. So the next call was from Rush Management asking him to remix a Gangstar record. Now think about that for a second, right? A young producer is given the keys to DJ Premier's production cabinet with the pr- permission to like rearrange it how he sees fit like that's really fucking serious like that's that's a massive achievement and large professor even told complex he might be the only person to remix a gangstar record um which isn't true i did found a couple of remixes on discogs of gangstar records that are official but it's not very common at all to hear a remix gangstar song um you know like why would you need to remix a primo beat so large professor and primo had an interesting relationship i'll talk about that in a second um uh, I'll talk about it right now, actually. Sorry, I thought I was going to talk about it in a second. No, the next track. The next track is Peer Pressure by Mob Deep. So, uh, Large Professor actually told Complex that Peer Pressure, the beat to it was his beat, and then DJ Premier's production was a remix, but because of the weight of Primo's name, um, they actually called Large Professor's version the remix. But again, like Large Professor produced that song, DJ Premier remixed it, so they were, they were building a little bit of a collaboration. 
uh, Large Pro and DJ Premier. Now, his work with Main Source shown the world that Large Professor was not just a producer or a beat maker. He was involved in every single aspect of the development of a record. And the vision that he saw with Nas to bring him onto that track so early led others to bring forward their prodigies. So Pro told Complex that Havoc was entranced by the fact that Large Professor had a beat machine in his room and he subsequently just watched everything Pro did like a hawk and absorbing it. Large Professor said, uh, Fader would have have come to my house a lot and he had the eye of the tiger. He just absorbed the reality that someone could have a beat machine in their room. Like, oh shit, you've got a beat machine and you made that beat right here. It wasn't like I was like, you press this button and do this. He just heard the sounds and was like, oh, you filtered that and you got the drum machine hooked up to the speakers. Then he knew where to take it from there definitely. Definitely. So then Lord Finesse brought Big L to Large Professor's house before Big L was Big L and we get Unexpected Flavor. Um, then there was Keep It Rolling with Tribe Called Quest. And of course, there's a Q-Tip story. We've heard a lot of Q-Tip stories. Large Professor used to go record shopping with Q-Tip. Um, and then they'd you know, buy their records. They'd head down to Five Spacemen and start looping up samples, which sounds like one of the greatest things you could ever do is just go record shopping with Q-Tip and then hop down to Five Spacemen and just start producing. Like, that's fucking cool. Um, and in fact... Um, I want to tell, I want Large Professor to tell this story about Q-Tip. This is what he told Complex. Because it's just, Q-Tip's just a good dude, man. Q-Tip is such a good dude. I want to do a whole pod one day where I just go through all the nice things people have said about Q-Tip. So this is Large Professor's words um, about the song that they were he was producing with uh, Q-Tip. He said, I didn't think they were going to use it. It was crazy. He was like, yo, I'm in the studio and I got that joint you looped up. Come on, let's rhyme over it. And you know, we were going record shopping together while he was working. So it was like, I would hear the work he was doing in his sessions. He'd come through, like, check this out. He'd play me lyrics. And I'd be like, this shit is crazy. So I rolled through the studio. And I think at that time of tip, he knew it was right when all the main source shit disintegrated, which is why I'm like, fuck those two DJs on my verse. He was like, yo, just get it out. We've got your back. At that time, I was really going through a whole lot with the breakup of the group and just myself growing as a person. And now Nas is doing his thing and like, oh shit, now I'm a solo artist. So Tip was like, yo, come come roll with us for a moment. That's why all throughout the album, he was kind of bigging me up, trying to get me to straighten up. I was torn up over that main source shit. I hadn't planned on being a solo artist. I was the one saying the rhymes, but it was still like, yo, scratch this, yo, scratch that. So keep it rolling was nice because it was pretty much like keep it rolling, man, for real. That appearance brought me to a whole other level. A lot of people were like, who is this guy? And then they go back to my main source stuff and connect the dots. So, you know, that was really sweet. And, and he talks a little bit more in the interview about how Q-Tip recognized that he was in a difficult position at that point in his career, leaving main source, being cut up about it, not knowing where to go next. And Q-Tip was just like, well, fuck it, man, hop on our song and like like propel your solo career. And that's what happened. And this is it's something a large professor alludes to often in interviews that he always wanted to rap. You know, some producers are reluctant rappers, some embrace it, some have it thrust upon them. Large professor actually came up with his name because it sounded better than Paul Juice, which was his original name. Paul Juice is a wild rap name, man. That would have been hilarious. Um, so he told Red Bull Music, uh, when you were on the, the mic, especially in those days, you couldn't be like, I'm just regular P. It had to be something extravagant. So, you know, he was always, he always had this idea of himself as a rapper, not just a producer. 
Um, so once he left main source, there was an immediate interest in his solo career. And luckily, Large Professor had a solo album ready because whilst he was working with Wild Pitch Records on main source material, he'd actually recorded enough songs for a solo album and his plans were to drop it as soon as possible. He even told Red Bull Music, I do what I do. I wouldn't care if it was Monopoly Records or whatever. I do what I do. If you're rocking with me, you know what it is. So at that point, he was just like, bro, I don't care who, who this drops with. This shit is coming out. And he signed with Geffen and they get, began preparing for his debut album, which is the LP. Yeah, which, uh, funny enough, ironically, talking about getting stuff out as quickly as possible proceeds to be shelved <laughs> and actually and actually never drop until well there's a 2002 version and then there's also a 2009 version yeah so when you um when you spin this on streaming you get the 2009 version uh which has a few more tracks than the uh 2002 version um the 02 only has uh, 12 tracks and the one we know of is uh or the one we are available is made uh, made available to us in the 2009 version has 18 tracks so um plenty of uh, plenty more added on to it uh, after the fact um but yeah originally yeah shelved in 96 so that's what it was supposed to be in 96 um and that's kind of just how i you know like to see it in terms of how it sounds and it does sound very midnight ease it fits the bill on that front um obviously in the noble track being i just want to chill is solid but obviously also have mad scientists as well um they, and i think those were just the two singles um but yeah you know past that obviously you know there's the nas feature one plus one which is good and there's a couple more uh features sprinkled in here as well but mainly it's mainly large professor man it's, it's mainly him just doing his thing and um, I'm here for it. There's some good stuff on here. Um, I feel, you know, the production is obviously uh, very solid and very consistent. I'm always fascinated by the concept of sequencing because if you look at the O2 version and compare it to the O9 version, it's actually pretty night and day in terms of where stuff is placed. Um, one plus one is on the, it's the second track on the O2 version, but it's only the eighth track on the on the 09 version, I just want to chill Mad Scientist on the back end, uh, uh, literally finish up the 02 version, but um, they pretty much start the um, start the 09 version. So I'd actually like to, I didn't listen to the 02 version, um, but I'd actually like to listen to it at some point just to see if it feels any different, I guess. I, I'm not really sure, but um, I'm not sure if it would do anything, who knows, but... Yeah, I think it'd be interesting just to experiment in sequencing just to see how that is. And also who made that decision to actually sequence it like that. Um, also, also extremely interesting. Um, but yeah, man, it's a solid album. As um, as mid-90s albums go, it's pretty, I wouldn't say run-of-the-mill. Um, but, you know, it's a solid little record right there. Um, to have someone that um, probably wasn't known for rapping at that point. I feel like it's a good... It's a really good, um, it's a really good marker of just um, you know how solid he is, and obviously the production speak for itself on that front. So, yeah, man, it's, it's a solid album. Yeah, the um, I mean, having your album shelved when you really want it to come out, fuck, bro, man, label fuckery, label fuckery. So, Large Professor signed to Geffen, and everyone was very excited until they started to hear the music. He played the Mad Scientist, and their primary reaction was confusion. 
and a gentle nudge towards not putting it out. But it did come out, ads did, I just wanna chill. Now, uh, Pro Tell Red Bull Music, he was offered the opportunity to change the entire aesthetic of the album to update it for both the current market and his current bank balance. He declined saying, I had to go through that struggle, I have to get this stuff out there, which is incredibly admirable, but unfortunately it meant that Geffen was not gonna drop the album. So, Large Professor told in an interview in 2002, Geffen Records is a big rock record company that was trying to get into hip hop and just off the street buzz, all of these cliches that these record companies are going off, they decided that they wanted to sign Large Professor. And I think that after a while, they just didn't know the level of hip hop that I was bringing. So then it all just disintegrated. And the interviewer then asked Pro if he knew it was gonna go bad from the start and he said he did. Uh, he never felt they were comfortable with his lyrical content. He told Complex he knew something was really up even during the recording process and he said, I kind of knew that they were going to get, they were getting ready to drop me. We started going from different studio to different studio. They were like, well, maybe it's the studio, maybe it's the engineer. But I was like, no, I'm good. I'm just recording my shit. I knew they were getting ready to drop me and I was alone before Nas. And again, there's some, some dark stuff in here that Large Professor had to deal with. He says, before Nas and Grand Wiz came in the studio, I was alone. I was for self. It was crazy where I was. When I started working, I had a lot of people around and it seemed like the people were slowly fading away. And now I'm not at my regular studio. I'm at this other studio. It was kind of on some problem shit, which you can hear me express in my verse. Then Nas comes in and he's problem free, like, yo, smoke heavily and that type of shit. And I'm just sitting there ready to get dropped from the label. I was on some other shit. So, you know, it's a difficult period. Like, obviously, I'm, I, I don't get the impression that Large Professor was ever insecure about his rapping. Never, not that impression. But I do get the impression in interviews, he doesn't outright say it, not, not that I've ever hear him say it but that he had to prove himself as a rapper over a producer, you know, um, that people weren't, not necessarily taking him seriously, but they were like, nah, you know, you're not really marketable as a rapper, we just want you as a producer, which I think was quite upsetting to Large Professor because I think he wanted to be a rap, like he really did wanna do everything, like I don't think he wanted to get pigeonholed. So these would have been difficult experiences to have, and he, he talks about being quite emotional around this time. Now he signed a Matador, and in 2002, he dropped both the LP and his sophomore album, First Class. And you know, the, the LP is just a straight up fucking throwback of the highest order. You know, the beats flow like honey around Large Professor's unique and very commanding voice. And the lyrics trace right back to the early 80s in scope and emotion and is fire. I really like this album. I enjoy it a, mu a, a much. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I Just Wanna Chill is a wonderful song. I think it's a hidden hip hop gem. I do think if this album had dropped in 96, it would have been great. You know, it would have done maybe not sold crazy, but like I really do think we'd maybe be speaking about it a little bit. But yeah, it, it didn't drop until 2002 um, and dropped the same year as his sophomore album, which is First Class. Yeah, I like it that much as well. Um, I think, uh, yeah, First Class is uh, also interesting because I feel like it gives off the same, albeit similar vibe, um, but in this case just has a few more noble names on it. Um, got Nas on here. Uh, Kinyele on the seventh track, Q-Tip aforementioned uh, on the seventh track, and uh, Buster Rhymes near the end as well, which is uh, pretty solid. Um, few names to have. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Seven point five on Pitchfork, goof. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so it's 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 um. I feel I feel like this um. I can't really gauge the solo work overall. Um, in terms of like. 
it, it, it doesn't it doesn't scream at me you know, if that makes any sense right i can listen to this uh first class and pretty much all the albums from uh large Press's solo work and kind of just have it on the background and it's fine um i guess i don't really what i'm saying is i don't really get much uh get much else apart from this is a good vibe and this is a solid listen um, which is why I'm just going to finish with, this is solid, listen, um, <laughs> production solid, lyrics are solid, everything's solid, I really can't, I really don't really have much, uh, much to go in terms of, like, superlatives to give it, apart from solid, um, it gets the job done, that's all, that's all I can say, um, but, yeah, you know, the features help, obviously, in that case, um, to make it a little bit more, um notable but um yeah i feel like especially in two with this dropping in 2002 um i feel like it'll be one of those projects where um i could see people not th- seeing it as just like oh you're, you're stuck in the 90s bro um but you know it all is it's it's still timeless in that fact of uh of the of the era it sets it sets itself into um but yeah you know it's not there's no, nothing bad about it there's just nothing i'd scream to the mountaintops about about it to be completely honest yeah to be 100 percent honest this is kind of how i feel about yeah his, his most of his discography after his debut album um it is an odd album like i, I find it to be a bit of a wild listen because half of it sounds like a stereotypical I don't mean this in a critical way, but like a C tier 2002 production hip hop album, like, you know, not, I don't know, just not, not the Neptunes necessarily. The Sinter, the Sinter. Oh, I that with the next one, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the next one's interesting. Ironically. But like, yeah, it's just, it's weird. Like 2002 and then the other half is like a really smooth mid nineties rap record. Um, mm. the track Large Pro comes in at the end of such a calm run. I swear, it, it's just it's just an interesting it's an interesting mix. Like, and and Large Professor being in the middle of it, I I the way that I get with his voice, I just kind of feel like it's not metronomic, but it's just very calm and very centering. So it doesn't really matter what the production is around yeah. it. I'm like, well, Large yeah. Professor's coming in. You know, it's just, it kind of centers the whole project, which I like, and I do like this mm. album. Don't get me wrong, I do. Um. Obviously, I like the sound of the early 2000s, but that doesn't that doesn't bother me. But I do think finding his USP was a bit difficult on this record because I think if he'd packaged this with his debut album as like a double album, that would be very fascinating. You know, I think that would be a really int- interesting introduction to the game because you got to think about it. This is his introduction. Like we're talking about 2002 right now. I mean, this is when he released his debut album because he did actually get the uh, the rights back himself, so he self released it. So in 2002, we got two Large Professor albums, you know, his debut and his sophomore, even though it was six years, like, removed from his actual debut album. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And his career did, definitely didn't stall during this period, but his meteoric rise had kind of slowed slightly in the late 90s. His production credits became a little bit more scattered, and, yeah, they were just a bit different. So he did a beat on Buster's 2000 album, Anarchy. He had two tracks on Stillmatic. He had a cool mega track. But that's a bit of a step down from his early 90s output. And I think at this stage, Large Professor was trying to find his solo sound, but he hadn't found it. And that's just speculation for me, um, because I think his debut album is amazing. But the way that the industry just shrugged its shoulders uh, when he when he kind of wanted to drop it, I think that would have been confusing for any artist, let alone one who hadn't dropped a solo project yet, and let alone one who 
you know, maybe was a little bit, uh, didn't think that people were respecting his rap because that's exactly what he said when he left main source. He was like, you're not respecting the contributions I'm giving to you. You're not paying me enough for it. He then leaves, goes to a label, records a solo album and they do the exact same thing. They're like, no, we're not interested in this. So I think that this album was really interesting in trying to figure out where he was going to go after this. Um, and, you know, I, I also can't say that he was saving his best beats for himself because I think that his work with Nas and Buster prior to this album in terms of production was superior to any beat on this record, which I guess is an occupational hazard for a producer trying to become a rapper. Or I mean, obviously, Large Pro was already a rapper, but you know what I mean? Like, trying to juggle both those things at once might be a difficult thing. I feel like you either have to have Kanye levels of self-belief or you just rap on your own second tier beats, which I think Large Pro was doing. I enjoyed the album, don't get me wrong, but yeah, it was just it was just an interesting transition record before we get to Main Source, his third album. Yeah, well, I found that a bit weird that he has an album called Main Source. Yep. <laughs> I don't know, just uh, just uh, uh, it's, it's a weird it's a weird one to title it. Um, but yeah, um, shout out to Marco Polo who has a one uh, who has a beat on here. But yeah, the rest of it is, again, not Professor. And um, I wanted to touch on the voice thing that you mentioned, saying, like, it's unique. And I feel like it kind of is very reminiscent of, like, Big Daddy Kane, just without the pace, Um, just a little bit more slowed down. I kind of just get that, because they they just have this, you know, just New York, um, just way of talking. And... uh, it's, it's interesting having uh, making that comparison, um, but yeah. Anyway, just just wanted someone to shout out. Um, but yeah, this um this is cool. Um, you know, uh, there's this weird bit in the middle where it just has these rude dope depanoid, uh, and those those are three three tracks on their own, but they're about like I don't know, two and a half minutes overall. I just found that bit just found that a bit odd just to have one thing last a minute and then the other two last less than 50 seconds um but yeah you know you have az and stars p on the on the finish here now it's really good it was really nice way to finish it in my opinion and um yeah you know i just uh yeah man just uh it's just it's just there it's just cool solid again can't complain not just, i don't really know what else is uh is is this um i don't want to say uh I don't think lack of exploration is the phrase to use, but for lack of a better phrase, lack of exploration. Um, I think, uh, yeah, in in that sense. And uh, I, if you if you played, if you played all the all these three albums in in a day, which I did, and and you just like you just press random, right? If you just put them all together in one playlist and just press shuffle, I feel like there's not much like evolution there. Um, in terms of just how it sounds and what it uh, what it's aiming to do, I feel like a lot of the goals here, um, in terms of subject matter, being pretty much the same uh, throughout. Um, which again, not a bad thing. You know, I'm not I'm not one to harp on someone using the same subject matter for the for their whole career. You know, like I put a lot of people just make that argument when it comes to the likes of Pusha T, and it's just like, yeah, okay, well still slaps i don't want to tell you so you know this is fine um i don't really care about that kind of thing um but it is what it is here um in my mind uh so you know because that negative if you want um but again it's solid (laughs) yeah look 
Um, Don't say so- pick a pick a different word from solid challenge impossible difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing if I wrote the word solid here because I may have very well done. <laughs> Look, uh, the thing oh, I'm saying, said, the thing I said about his final three albums, I I kind of lumped them together, right? Because I feel like he definitely found his solo sound at this point. You know, I feel like he stuck to it. He dropped three albums back to back that I would say are very, very good listens. I think there was always a wild feature on there, like Deck would come in or Cormega or Lil Fame. Bro, this is li- literally what I wrote was the word solid, full stop. Like, it's just, it's, a, it's the perfect way to describe these albums. You know, it's very, they're very consistent. I do feel like once he found that sound, um, he stuck to it. And I had never listened to large pro solo albums before this episode. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to go back to them and listen to them. It wasn't something that struck me and I was like, oh shit, like this is amazing. But at the same time, they were not albums that I was like, ugh, I'm not going to listen to these again. These are boring. This is a law of diminishing returns, you know, etc., etc. It does interest me about how many records. I mean, you know, Charlie and I have listened to a lot of music in our lives and there's just so much music that I've not listened to that is good quality. And it's just like, wow, holy shit. Like Large Professor was dropping quality solo albums for so long and I, I just did not know. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I'm curious as to how you feel the delineation between his solo career and his career as a producer because I do feel like the accolades that he gets and the legacy that people talk about is all related to his production, not his solo work. Even not so much main source. Like, how do you do you agree with that? What the, his entire legacy is based on that? Yeah, and basically, his, his entire record? legacy is pretty much Illmatic and what came before. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's and that's fine. Um, yeah. And it's just a. Uh, it's a, a still a fucking good legacy, you know what I mean, yeah. compared to most people. That's two true. seconds. It's fine to have that, um, and you know, to to say all that and then move on to the next album, which actually has some form of variety, uh, <laughs> or just um, or you know, just a change um, in sound in Professor at Large. Um, really comes through here as just like, oh, okay, we're doing something different here. And um, I'm really, and again, it's <laughs> it was the leap that we were, you know, at this point saying, maybe you should make a leap and just so, you know, try something different. And lo and behold, he did with Professor at Large and it actually works. It's fine. It's good. It's a good, um, It's it, the first track really just what had me going, oh, okay. Oh, where, where are we going with this? You know what I mean? Caught my attention. Um, and uh, proceeded to be a pretty solid album <laughs> uh, again, and you know, <laughs> it's, it's it can be both. It could be both. It could be you know, it could be um, again solid, but it also can be. I can also say that it does sound different, and um, you know, I'm not saying it was album of the year for 2012, um, but it really was a good change, and uh, I appreciate that. I do appreciate it. But yeah, answering your question, I don't think it's a I think it's a bad thing to be of service to others and, you know, be um, and be a part of so many historical moments uh, in, in music history um, by, by any means. That's just, just the amount of documentaries he could be included in um, to, to cover one someone else's career. And yeah, he'll be all over that shit. You know what I mean? He'll be he'll be talking about he'll be talking to he'll be in a, in all the Nas documentaries. He'll be on in all the uh, uh, fucking 
Buster Rhymes documentaries, maybe, you know what I mean? Just, you would be in a ton of those. He could be, he could be a voice in a lot of those and actually have credence to be there. So, you know, just using that kind of metric, hell yeah, hell yeah. It's all, it's all, it's all good on that front. No, you know, no disrespect to the, to the solo projects. But yeah, he's clearly, um, not to make this, not to put a bow on this episode, but yeah, you know, his legacy is that, is that he's off, he's been off service to others. Um, and has, you know, produced amazing work for other people, and has produced solid work for himself, and that's fine too, that's fine too, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain for him, um, that, you know, his, nobody's, nobody's solo work has to be better than the collective work that they've also made, um, as part of a team or whatever, or, or, or again, of service to others, um, yeah, shit. Like you know, get it, get it how you can get it. In this case, um, that's 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 my that's my ethos anyway. No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I do wonder what like the next project's gonna be like because obviously, reliving re with a little thing in the middle and then living, which came out and regarding living. Yeah, regarding living. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, it was solid, man. Again, it was really good. It was it was a great project. I I'm looking through the track list and I'm just like. I feel like we're getting a little bit, not spoiled, but nowadays people, especially artists of large professors ilk who have obviously a wild Rolodex, like wild Rolodex. Right, yeah. Normally yeah. I would be looking at this track listing and just seeing like five different rappers on every single song. You know, there'd be Baldy and there'd be Benny and there'd be Conway and you know what I mean? Like that seems to be the direction yeah. we're going now. I'm even curious if he ever drops an album like that because I do think that some of these projects would... I wouldn't say get livened up by it because I do enjoy them. Like, it sounds like I'm being critical. I'm not being critical. I really do like these albums. But it would be fascinating to hear other rappers next to Large Pro a little bit more because I do think that he does keep time, like, with his with his voice. It's just he always brings you back to where you need to be. It doesn't matter really what the beat's doing. And I think lyrically, he's not, like, charting new land, but he's always saying something interesting. He's saying something that I'm curious to hear about. I like hearing his takes on things. Um, and yeah, that's just how I feel about this album in particular and the, and the album prior. It's just like, it's just nice to hear him over his own beats and over this kind of production. And I mean, this is 2015, so this is only eight years ago. So we're still getting large pro content, which I'm, I'm fucking all here for. I do like the track with Deck as well. I think that's a great fucking song. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a good album. It really is. Yeah, and um, something I haven't mentioned but features throughout the discography is the fact that he has a lot of moments of just um, having instrumental tracks. Yeah. And um, as somebody that really appreciated that when it came to Eric B and Rakim, um, I, I appreciate that yeah. he does that. Good I appreciate point. that he, you know, just has these... Uh, produces these kind of intermission moments of just, all right, here's a beat to hold you over for a second. Um, and... Yeah, I just, I just, I like that motif. It's, it's a, a nice it's, it's a lost, yeah. it's a lost, yeah, it's a lost art in it terms of that. That's something I kind of wish, you know, the likes of Alchemist would do these days, where, you know, they have these projects just, you know, with so many people on it, right? It's just so overwhelming. It's just like this with Action yeah. Bronson and this one with Body James and this one with this one and this one with the whole of Griselda, like in 10 minutes. It's just like, okay. But can we have an instrumental project? Like it's not a project, but like can we have an instrumental? Just uh, you know, just yeah, even even like a even like an interlude or whatever. However you want to slice it, what how you want. But you know, just some instrumental. 
I, I don't, I'm not going to hate an instrumental track, you know what I mean? You don't have to have somebody on it every single time, you right? Um, that's just me. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate that Large Pro does still do that. Um, I don't think many producers do that um, these days. Not even someone like DJ Premier, um, the, you know, for the likes of... Uh, Prime, for example, when he did that with Royce to Five Nine, that was obviously him and Royce, and um, that he but he had something like Beats that Collected Dust recently, and that was just pure. Um, I think that was all instrumental. So yeah, you know, not many people actually do that hybrid, um, and I feel like that's always lost in uh, that always gets lost in the source of um, trying to have those instrumental moments um, of just like here's a beat, you know, just um, just sit in that beat for a minute just see, see what see what i'm saying here um but yeah regarding living is solid <laughs> um i do like the industry remix too i think that was a i think that was part of um cormega's um originally mega philosophy um because uh large pro did have a big hand in that project i love that project and uh yeah this one has uh inspected deck like you said cormega as i mentioned and also rock marciano uh, Sadar X and Lord Jamal, um, and yeah, it's a really, really good track. Like as Posse Cuts goes, really, really good. So um, shout out to shout out to everyone involved on that one. But yeah, man, yeah. Overall, I just um, I, I feel Large Professor is a very again just a very underrated um, underrated uh, artist to talk about in hip hop history. Um, feel free to listen to the solo albums if you want. Um, you know, like we've said, it's not exactly anything that will make you scream to the mountaintops shouting, classic, classic, classic. But, um, geez, they're good. <laughs> like, they're just, they're, they're, I think, like, they're, they're good albums to have. Um, just, just to know that he can do it is enough for me there. Um, and we have that answer in spades. He, uh, he you know, he was asking himself, can I be solo? you know, beforehand, and he can, I hope he can firmly look back at that now, and say to himself, yeah, I can do solo work, of course I can do solo work, and there's some good stuff that I've done as a solo artist, um, it just so happens that his collective work, and, and the work he's done at, of service to others, have just been exponentially historic, <laughs> in a lot of ways, and, uh, that's just how the cookie crumbles on that front, um, you know, not everybody's solo work can, be the shining uh, testimony to themselves and to their artistry. Um, sometimes it's just, um, and sometimes it's probably even more interesting to know that um, your best work came out of somebody else's um, uh, in 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 tandem with somebody else's vision, and to actually be that person for so many people, for so many legends is kind of crazy to think about so there's that flower right there yeah no i fully agree um i did do i actually did a statistical piece for him in 2019 i remember someone. i remember that yeah there's someone on his team who didn't treat me very on well on his team <laughs> yeah but anyway i want to read some stats because this is 2019 so i haven't updated this for 2023 but um they're pretty epic so 311 official beats produced, credited via all music, Wikipedia, Tidal, Spotify, Genius, all the places you go. 9.7 beats a year. 2008, he had 32 production credits. He has a production credit on every, every single year on a major release since 1989. So that was 30 years of production credits. This is one on every single year. 
Uh, he's produced the most for himself, obviously. Large Professor, 82 beats. Then Neek the Exotic, Akane... Akane... How do I say his name? Akaneli? Akaneli? Yeah, Akaneli. Sure. something wrong with me production. Uh, 16 beats for Main Source. Comega got 13. because you're Australian. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's, it's embarrassing being Australian. Uh, 10 for Cool G Rap. Um, he's filled a lot of roles in the studio. So his studio roles are crazy. So he's in A&R, additional personnel, arranger, audio production, bass, composer, drum programming, engineer, executive producer. He's listed as inspiration on a song. Um, which is interesting. Liner notes, main personnel, mixing, post-production, production coordination, remix producer, producer. Like, and you know, you got to remember at the start of his career, he was seen as a remix producer. Like, his major production credits and his major, like, uh, the, the major artists he was working with were as remixes. So he did transcend that and be and become, you know, obviously a producer. Uh, and he did sample a lot. So 214 of his production uh, placements contain samples. 68.8% of his production discography has a sample. Um, yeah, man. And he has sampled 409 times, 1.32 samples per beat, which is crazy. So, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, great legacy. Great legacy. So shout out, Large Pro. Indeed. Uh, we shall leave it there and top it to a light note. If you have anything, then well, I think I think we're gonna flip it around because I Charlie has to say his lighter note because then it makes me think of lighter notes. So if you have a lighter note, I feel like you should proceed. And then if something hits me, I will. I know it's fucking it up. We've been doing it this way for a long time, but for some reason my brain thinks of things while you talk, and then it just gets a bit awkward. So I think you should start. Um, okay, so there was a question asked Ben yesterday, and he didn't answer. Oh, yeah. So I was wa- so I was wondering if he wanted to talk about it now. <laughs> I thought you were just leaving it for the recording. That's all I was thinking. <laughs> I was actually no, I was very busy this weekend. I had an incredible weekend, but um, yeah. Look, that was an interesting question. So Charlie asked me. I read it out to to. F- te- let, let me te- as you find it. Let me tee it up. Tee it up. Tee it up. Context because I didn't I didn't give context to him. No. I just gave him a screenshot a of two one. messages and it's it just like one. go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this was in relation to um, Beyonce's Renaissance film dropping in Israel, um, which is you know objectively just not a good move and just not a good look to- optics wise. So I po- so. You know, I was in a group chat with a lot of um, women that are, you know, Beyonce stands. They went to her show. Uh, they went to Renaissance World Tour. They were all about that for, you know, all, all this year, pretty much, right? That's all they were talking about this at that point. Um, so, you know, they're they're about that life. Um, so, obviously, this is, you know, just jarring to think about. And, you know, there was a video of just like... Um, Israeli women just like with their flags like singing break my soul and it's just like eh weird weird look just weird look all around um and um yeah so I basically was just like yeah because because I'm always about this right in the same way um with that Rihanna's uh, Fenty is apparently worse than she in um in terms of um I guess human rights violations or just like quality of um quality of workers I didn't actually see the the it just said worse than she and I'm just like ow wow that's outstanding to be worse than she and um but yeah you know I said um in that in that vein as well it's just like 
And you lot are still going to buy it, aren't you? Yes, you are. Okay, let's not have that conversation. There's no, there's no point having a conversation with people that are just going to adhere to it regardless. So it's, oh, no, heavens, clutch pearls. But let me still go buy Fenny Beauty. Let me still go watch the Renaissance film, right? Um, so shout to TT. She doesn't listen, but shout to her anyway. Um, she goes, um, in context of, like, just this um, particular thing happening, um... It's annoying when people act like she has no control over this. If she has the power to directly distribute through the theatre, she has the power to choose where her films uh, screen at. And you'll know I'm already a fan and Renaissance down, uh, but I'm not going to defend a billionaire who clearly is wrong. Now I make the joke, please, just, oh, just for, dev- please be devil's advocate, just for the fun of it, right? Because it's fun watching people do that. Um, but I go afterwards, um, until obsessive parasocials are considered mentally ill, it's always going to be funny. Um, And as the conversation was going, I was like actually deep in it. Um, Because they were talking about it as well, just people in the group chat. And I was just like, huh, is it actually going to be considered a mental illness at some point? Um, And yeah, I was just trying to deep it. And considering Ben's own personal track record, I thought you'd have a decent um, a decent uh, two cents on it. So, um, yeah, with that said, Ben, what have you got? Well, I think, okay, it's, it's an interesting question because, look, no one's going to obviously say, well, I mean, they may in the future, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but I've been in, so yeah, done a lot of research on it. I don't think anyone at some point is going to say, yeah, if you're a stan, you definitely got a mental illness. But there certainly seem to be things that cross over with OCD, like... There is some obsessive, compulsive, like very rigid thinking around things where they don't seem like a lot of stands don't not seem to be able to see reality. You know, I've had these conversations with people where this just it's shocking to me that they've really lost their composure and lost their grip on reality where they're telling you something that is clearly wrong. But you're like, no, literally, that's the number. You can see the number there. And they're still that's concerning. And I think that it would be you know, this would bring something specific out in someone who is already a little bit predisposed being in this direction. But as someone who was a bit of a stan when I was younger, I mean, especially for Jay-Z, I don't necessarily think I was, I just really fucking liked him and anyone who criticized him, I got really upset. And I'm like, no, don't protect Jay-Z at all costs, you know? So it's hard to say, like, it's hard to say what, what exactly is going on with a lot of these people because they really have lost their grip on reality and it's very concerning um certainly i think if you're heading down that direction where you're just impossible to talk to you there's nothing coming in no information is able to come in you're not processing it you're not like synthesizing it into your own experience you're just rigidly that's something that I've experienced a lot with people in my personal life, not people currently in my personal life, but people that I wouldn't necessarily say have a mental illness. They're just like very egotistical or very rigid or very stuck in their ways, etc., etc. So look, I think the behavior when you see it is very concerning. You know, when I tell people about some of the stuff that people say to me when I, I'm not even criticizing their favorite artist. The statistic just says that their favorite artist is not at the top when they're used to their favorite artist being at the top. And then they just 
go mental at me, bonkers at me. And I use all these terms, mental, crazy, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm just saying, like, I'm just trying to, like, convey to you. People really do lose their composure. So, look, it's an interesting question. But, I, again, I think it's so complex that it would have to be on a case-by-case basis. It would be very interesting to get in a room with a bunch of different stands and just have conversations with them about things that aren't about their favorite artist and just see how they feel about those things because that would be a very interesting study to see if this is something that like expands across different parts of their life and different like aspects or if they're just like really about this very one thing not very rational about it but yeah it's it's interesting i did not know about the beyonce thing by the way that's um that's a very jarring image to see people with those flags like to break my soul like no that's yeah no no yeah, they're, they're taking that message like proper, and it's just like no, 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 not yeah, no, the right thing. But yeah, um, I'm tr- I was trying to like think of like historical moments because you know, think of like Beatlemania for example, yes. right, or just any Michael Jackson concert, right. You know, you, ha- you hear those stories of like, oh, someone fainted just by looking at him. Like, Bro, even you know, just because Michael Jackson you, looked in. Not to cut you, but I saw Justin yeah. Timberlake and there were people in there that <laughs> were just, look, okay, relax. Just relax. Future sex love sounds was amazing. And I was jump. I was dating someone who liked what, Justin. What so we went and saw du- Justin. <laughs> okay, just... Um, you, you, come on, you got you got to understand how much of a leap just that Just calm was. down. That it's a that, massive leap. But, the left turn, you just but turn even, Fuck you. <laughs> even at a Justin Timberlake concert, there were, I couldn't hear the music. People <laughs> were crying. They were screaming. There were tears streaming down their face, and they were 200 oh meters away from Justin. He was a speck in the distance, <laughs> and they were crying. Like, yes, it's a um, concern. <laughs> yeah, sorry to cut uh, you. Okay. <laughs> So th- thank you for giving me just uh, yeah so, thank you for that example very 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 glistening example um, okay so that I mean it does help my point um, in that you know those are what what would you class that as moments of like a moments of hysteria if anything yeah. like they're not gonna like it's, obviously there's you know some a lot of people that are just you know very dedicated to whatever eyes, right? And I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking about the overall, like, what's the what's the average, you know what I mean, in terms of that? So those are the extremes of, you know, stalking behavior. Um, they got a Twitter account dedicated to them and shit like that, right? That's, that's, that's an extreme. Um, but I feel like, you know, reverting to the meme here would be, you know, would I'd, I'd class it as just like a momentary mass hysteria. So watching the Beatles come off the plane and arrive in the US, and everyone's going, ah! you know, that's that's uh, it must be you know some form of hysteria or something along those lines, right? Because I'm sure if you know those fans that are well, you know, if those fans are, if those fans are still alive today, they're not gonna be you know screaming like that anymore they'll be you know i would assume a bit more level-headed um these days and obviously you know um we can link it to age as well obviously you know a lot of these moments that we think about are people probably under the age of 30 for you know just to 
just a ballpark it and mate and younger. So you know, you you just have that. You know, and even even trying to think about like any personal moment for me, um, I don't really have like a moment where I'm just like, oh, I fainted over this person. It's never, that's never happened, right? Um, but you know, it, it's, there's there's times where you know I've listened to, I've had a certain album in my head for a while or an artist for for a while, and you know they just feel so just like they're talking to me kind of thing, right? Um, but, you know, I don't even class that as standing, to be honest, I just find, I just, they, they just had me, they just had me in a grip for a while, um, and, you know, you apply, it's how you, it's how you, you know, apply that kind of, uh, either the messaging or just what the vibe is and how you apply that to your own personal life, um, but, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't consider it a mental illness, uh, maybe for the most extreme cases, like you said, the OCD people, um, that would just, in, instead of cleaning, um, obsessive compulsive cleaning, they would instead obsessive compulsive over Justin Timberlake. And, um, you know, those, those people exist. Um, but you know, that's not, that's not everybody, right? So I don't know. It's, it's, it, the answer is probably no, that it's not going to be considered a mental illness at that point <laughs> of how I classed it as obsessive parasocials. Um, but the, 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 I guess it's one of those things where the internet has just, um, just kind of lifted the rock, so to speak of like, you know, these people existed. Um, they just have a Twitter account now, um, and they can spew whatever they want on that. Um, so, and you see, and sometimes you just see a lot of that. So, um, and before social media, they were still there. They just didn't have, uh, apparatus to do that. They maybe had like a forum, um, in the classic web 1.0 days and just, you know, um, <laughs> uh, justintimlakefans.com. I'm sure that existed at some point, right? Most likely. Uh, you know, shit like that. That's probably on it. Most likely. So yeah, you know, if they, if they were there, they were there. Um, but they always existed. They just have that. Um, they just have the mouth mouthpiece to actually mobilize online these days, and actually um, form some sort of just a, a big crowd, I guess, seemingly. And they're just uh, and you know, seeing a lot of people tweet the same thing looks like a mental illness. You know, what I mean, just looks. It looks like it just looks like some crazy ass groupthink. And it's just like, guys, are you okay? Uh, do, you, do you guys need to touch some grass? It's like, please, I, I encourage you to. Like, do, do something else. Anything else. Because this is just a really weird, just like, mobilization of people just to get to somebody to number one or some shit. It's just really weird to me. Um, so, yeah. No, anyway. I think... No, no, you, not the, you, like, yeah. you struck on a good point. Like, I just want to end on this because you did strike on a good point. You know, I think... The, the way that they talk about yeah, like that sometimes the, it happens it, it's been known to happen um <laughs> the way that a lot of people talk talk about like the difference between anxiety and stress right for example if you just sure. lost your job or you know you're addicted to something or your partner just left you etc etc you're not anxious or depressed in those moments you are like responding to stimuli that most people would find distressing you know so if you lost your job and you're feeling anxious about that you've not necessarily got anxiety you're stressed and I do think that a lot of people, uh, especially people, you know, I, I felt this. Like, I was very isolated when I was a teenager. So I connected with Placebo, for example. Their albums are on my wall still. You can see one right there. Like, it's right there. So 
I felt like they were speaking to me personally. So was I was in the same room as them at a show. I never, I don't get the opportunity to say to them, you mean fucking everything to me because I'm very lonely and you're speaking to me in this very lonely place. Same way I feel about Mac Miller. You know, if I met Mac Miller, I would cry. I'll cry and I'd be like, bro, bro, let me just compose myself. You are special to me in a very, very deep way. Mac Miller doesn't know me. Like, he'd just be like, okay, cool, bro. Like, that's a bit creepy. Like, I would understand his reaction being a little bit standoffish. I think that what we're seeing here is it's definitely not going to be considered a mental illness. It's a situational thing. I do think that the people mm-hmm. who take it to that extra level, there's probably something else going on that we're not 100% sure about. You know what I mean? There's probably something mm-hmm. a little bit extra. Maybe they are suffering from something serious, like maybe it's OCD, depression, anxiety. It could be any of these things, personalities, many of these things. But it would be impossible to tell that just by saying that, you know, someone's a stand, so clearly there's something wrong with them. I personally don't yeah, think it's, that... It's that. A, it's a symptom. Yeah, it could be. It could it's be. A, it's a symptom I, of something like I personally that, yeah. think you could be a stand and be in completely perfect mental health. I don't necessarily think... Oh, yeah, of course. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So I just think yeah. there are people that I speak to and I'm just like, I'm never going to, like, prejudge someone or, or diagnose someone. But I'm like you have lost grip of reality in this one particular very specific area. And it's it's interesting to me. I would be interested to see if people had actually studied it and tried to work out what it is. Maybe people have studied it and they're just like, yeah, this is just normal. It's people get excited, you know. Like the one example that I thought of, right, during COVID, um, uh, obviously like supermarkets were stripped bare. But we had a rule in Australia where they would open for an hour before and vulnerable people or people who were caring for vulnerable people could come and shop for an hour unmolested and then go home. So I was caring for someone who was unwell. So I was allowed to be there, right? First morning I got there, 6 a.m. Everyone was calm. But as soon as they started to open the doors, there's only like 40 of us. Like there was plenty. You could see into the store. We were not going to run out of things. There was plenty. People started, these were old people, people in wheelchairs. One woman actually pushed her trolley into a girl who was on crutches and I had to push her trolley out of the way. Everyone lost their freaking minds and started charging for this opening. But you could see there was no rationality. It was herd mentality. Everyone was just, and I do think that that does tap into something in our human nature I don't know. These people just lost their composure, and I don't think any of them had anything necessarily wrong with them psychologically. I think they were scared, or they were excited, or something was happening, and I do think that that is probably what happens in these moments with most of these stands. They get very excited, there's a bit of group mentality, there's a bit of peer pressure, you know, especially, again, I know I'm speaking a lot, but like, as someone who was very isolated when I was younger and had no friends, to be part of a group of people, placebo fans, who all kind of felt connected, we felt like we had to protect our band because it's like, this band was everything to us. It brought us all together. Now we have a sense of community and you just get lost. You get stuck in that and nothing from the outside criticism. It's like, you don't understand. Fuck you, go away. Do you know what I mean? And it it, it seems mm. crazy a little bit because it, it's just irrational. So yeah, I had a lot of thoughts on this topic, obviously. But yeah, interesting topic. It is an interesting topic. It's a good one. It could have been a bias topic. I think it's interesting. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> probably based on lightness. And, um, you know, two more things on that. Um, 
One shout to the people that you know literally just run people over for t- for Lou Roll. That was um, that was mental. That was an outstanding. That was, that was an outstanding time, time in our lives, bro. and I will never ever forget that. You lot literally mauled each other for toilet roll. Are you mad? Like, what is wrong with you? Tough, um, tough times. Shout out to those people, and um, you know, I feel like a good example, a good comparison to make here is sports teams, right? Um, there's a lot of people that are, as you said, completely level-headed, but they also have a, you know, a sports team account, and you know, they just report on, you know, just um, oh, here's here's what this person posts on Instagram. Like everybody gives a shit, but they post it regardless, right? Um, and you know, they they probably have work, they probably have families and stuff, and they st- <laughs> they just post team shit. Um, and then there's also those, you know, the ultras as they call them, right? And they're just, you know, the diehards and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, it's, it's it's similar to that in music. Like, you know, we see sports teams and we're just like, yeah, that's normal. Um, but, but it's kind of not in some ways. I'm just like, I'm looking at people just getting pissed up and going to another country and just like, just throwing chairs of a cafe they've never been to. It's like, are you guys all right? Like, what's your problem? Like, why are you vandalizing another country just because you have a game in a couple of hours? It just, it's, it's, it, it boggles my fucking mind. I can't, I can't. I can't connect with that. I'm not. I'm not built like that. I'm not like, yeah, let's get pissed and throw shit. Like it's just weird. It's just weird to me, right? But um, and but I don't class that as a mental illness. I just see that as just some fucking dipshits. <laughs> just that's all it is. So um, yeah, it is interesting. It's very interesting. Um, maybe there is. Maybe there's been a white paper done on it some some uh, somewhere. Oh, we shall. We shall. Never look that up. Um, but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we'll leave it there. <laughs> oh, found the fifth in podcast network. It's been Diggy Digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Charlie Taylor for Fellman. Ben Carter for Bot Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. I'm sure, always trying to do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is a piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to your music for the ability to use. Socials for development, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and your music will be in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5 EPM production. Thanks for spending time with us. I shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.